Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to the show today. And thank you for joining me and my guest, Ryan Howes. Ryan is a psychologist, he's a writer. And he's a clinical professor at Fuller Graduate School of Psychology, and I'm going to tell you, and a whole lot more. And I'd like to welcome you to the show. Good afternoon, Ryan. Hi, Marcia. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure, truly. I thought we could start off because I'm a born talker, so I could probably just do a whole show just asking my que- myself questions back and forth. I don't know. That might be some kind of psychosis right there, but we're not going to talk about me right this minute. I thought we, we, what we would do instead is talk a little bit about you. So would you just take a moment and just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, please? Well, sure. I'm a... Uh... A clinical psychologist, which means I'm, I mostly do uh, psychotherapy. I do a little bit of uh, writing and teaching as well. And I, uh, I live and work in Pasadena, California. Um, and and for, for my clinical practice, I, I mostly see adults. And we, we talk through issues and, uh, and wrestle through, you know, the difficulties and challenges of their life. And, uh, and I, feel like I, have, I feel like I have the best job in the world, really. And did you did you grow up in the Pasadena area? Is that home for you? No, actually, I grew up in uh, in the Northwest. I grew up in Oregon, and mm-hmm. uh, and came down from Oregon to uh, to California to, to go to graduate school in psychology, and only planned on staying a couple of years, but uh, but ended up getting married, and <laughs> now I'm here. So I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> there you go. Well, con- congratulations. Uh, did you go to the University of Oregon? No. Um, no, I went for my undergraduate work. I was no, I'm a, I'm a I'm a fan of their sports team. So almost all my friends and family went there. But I went to a little school called Willamette University in Salem, Oregon. Oh. And then. Yeah. And then came down to uh, then came down to Pasadena to go to Fuller's Graduate School of Psychology, where I've been uh, a clinical professor for a long time. It's interesting that you mention Willamette because. I have a very good friend. In fact, she, along with two of my other friends, we're all going to the Dodger opening game on Thursday, and her daughter mm. went to Willamette. But your that Oregon team yesterday, just, just a side note, because it's March Madness, and frankly, I'm a big sports fan, that was quite the game against um, uh, UCI last night. So there, it's been some exciting basketball going on. Well, I, I do, I do follow that, <laughs> you know. And my daughter lives in Pasadena, so there you have a conversations, connections, community. There you have it. All, what all I'd over like the place. To, yes. Uh, absolutely. What What I'd like to know is, what drew you into psychology in the first place? What What's the backstory on that? Yeah. You know, I've. I found that there are kind of two different motivations that, that send people into psychology and into, into the, the kind of counseling and, and, uh, and therapy work that we do. 
And one of them tends to be a sort of a personal experience that they might have, right? So maybe something that they experienced in their own life where they needed some help at some point, and then they, uh, you know, they sought out help and had some counseling, maybe had a good experience and grew through that, and then so they become kind of interested in kind of giving back and, and you know, helping other people with maybe similar issues. And the second type of person, or separate, separate, you know, these are the people who will have no problem just sitting and watching people, being a people watcher at a, in a mall or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and for a lot of us, I think there's, there's both of those. There's, uh, you know, there's both a personal experience and there's just a kind of this innate curiosity about humanity and what, what makes people tick. And, uh, and for me, it, it is both of those as well. I, uh, I suffered a, a tragedy in my family. My, my mother passed away when I was a kid. Um, oh, which was, dear. Of course, you know, devastating for, for me and for the whole family. Um, and my my father had the the good sense about him to say you know maybe this is a good time for my son to uh, to go to counseling. Um, I was ten and I, I you know had nowhere else really to, to talk about these things. So I went uh, I went into counseling with a with a psychologist in up in Oregon and uh, spent several months there and it just felt like a good safe place to talk and uh, and really work through kind of some of the issues. You know it's not like we fixed everything. It's not like I was you know, all better because grief is something that really lasts a lifetime. But, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but I did feel great to have that, that kind of connection. But I remember when I was sitting there in that, in that chair uh, as, a, as a 10-year-old looking across and thinking, well, this, this grown-up has a job where her whole job is to sit and talk to people about the most important things in their life. What a cool thing. <laughs> like I didn't know that that was a career at that point. And I thought sure. that really stuck with the pursue. So when I uh, when I grew up, I uh, I got into when I was in college and I started taking some psychology classes. That's when I realized, wow, this is really fascinating. I love people out and finding solutions and and really trying to connect on a deep level. And uh, so that was it. I was I was I was hooked from that point. And you were hooked. Both the personal experience, yeah. Both the personal experience and then just kind of this kind of deeper curiosity. Well, I think that's wonderful and and it is very interesting when you when you mentioned the loss at such a young age of yeah. your mother um i i i I can't imagine my children were in their thirties when my husband passed away unexpectedly mm. and it is shocking when you lose yeah. a parent regardless. I mean, at 10 years old, I, I just can't even imagine it. But I know sure. even for my children, 10 years later, you know, that is still something we, we speak of. When, when, you, when we think about psychology, and, and I suppose what would be kind of a great thing for, for people that may not have any real understanding, there is definitely sure. a difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist, right? Do you want to just sure. define the difference of that? Absolutely. Sure. Yes. The, the words look similar and they're both doctors, but they, they practice very differently. So psychiatrists go to medical school and they learn about kind of the, the biological basis of, of behavior is what they, they would say. Right. So they're looking at like what is mm-hmm. biologically going on to, to make someone behave in a certain way. And so their primary thing is, is you know, a physical exam and uh, uh, doing uh, medication management, really, prescribe like a Prozac or a Xanax or something like that for someone. Um, 
psychotherapy isn't really a lot of psychiatrists do psychotherapy, but it's not really their primary. They're not really known for that. Um, I don't really have a, a tremendous amount of training in psychotherapy. Um, psychologists are we don't we're not we don't go to medical school. Uh, we can't prescribe. In a couple states are actually getting prescription privileges, but for the majority of us, uh, psychologists don't prescribe medication. And our primary thing is about treatment, um, whether through psychological assessment. There are a lot of psychologists who do like the testing. You know, so if someone wants uh, testing for ADHD or, or whether they're depressed or have a brain injury or something like that, psychologists do assessment and then also psychotherapy. And this, this is, again, a clinical psychology. There's a whole other realm of, of psychology, which is just about research. And those folks, uh, those are the people in the, in the mazes <laughs> a lot of times. Well, so I can see that there's um, at times a need of both. Do you, as a psychologist, oh, sure. because you cannot um, prescribe, is, are there times where you may send um, a client to a psychiatrist for that reason, but then they would come back to you? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, there are a lot of times when, yes, that's exactly the case. Or maybe the psychiatrist says, okay, here's the medication, but, uh, but it looks like you could benefit from talking to someone too. And so they'll refer to me. So yes, I have a, a few psychiatrists uh, in the area that uh, will kind of cross refer to one another. And, uh, and then hopefully we can spend some time collaborating about the case too and say, okay, here's what I see is going on. Here's what, you know, let's try to coordinate our treatment. Exactly. With the, with the uh, with the permission of the client, of course. <laughs> sure. Confidentiality is a big thing in this field. Absolutely. I'm sure that's true. Now, do you personally specialize in a particular area? Um, well, like I said, I, I don't. I, I usually focus on adults, and uh, and I do some work with couples, but it's mostly just individual adults. I would say if there was a, a specialty or a subspecialty of mine, it would be working with men because. Uh, mm-hmm. Only about a fourth of the people who go to therapy are men, and uh, so that kind of makes it a, a bit of a, of a, of a smaller population. Um, and also only about a fourth of the therapists uh, out there are men. It's a, it's a very female, uh, it's predominantly female field at this point. And uh, so sometimes guys will feel more comfortable talking to another guy, so they would come to me. That's interesting. I, I formed an when you mentioned the, mm-hmm. the difference in the in the gender, do you think that's yeah. because women bring sort of that nurturing internal instinct to life in a way that's not better but different than men? Yes, I would say yes, absolutely. Women are, I mean, from young ages, they 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 see that women are more collaborative and more verbal. And uh, and better able to express and 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 help each other with their feelings. Um, that's just that's just something that's sort of seen biologically from a, from a very early age. And and so yeah, I would say that more women are probably drawn to this field because of the the nurturing and the compassion and the collaboration. Um, so and that's that that never has been rising over the last couple of decades. So it's uh, men in this field are becoming more and more rare. Well, you know, I, I as a, I'm going to just take a, a, a sidestep from one of the next questions I wanted to ask you because it's so sure. very current today. Yet another person um, 
from the Parkland um, um, disaster sure. a year ago. Um, uh-huh. the, the young girl that was a survivor was a suicide, and I just read today that was so was one of the parents. And we are living in a time where there is so much hurt. I, I, I'm. It's just uh, you almost don't want to put the news on, and frankly. I don't want to take us down a very dark hole that way because it is so very sad. And, and probably there isn't a single person listening to this show that doesn't either know somebody or is aware of somebody that has taken their own life because they don't see any other solution. And I wish that um, there were more people taking advantage Ryan, of what it is you do offer that sometimes, and men probably even more than women, like you just said, if you were going to call a subgroup, they don't tend to express their feelings. When they get together with their guy friends, it might be, you know, over a hike or playing poker or going to a sporting event, but I don't think they would sit down. You know, it's very interesting. When, when my husband died so instantly, one of the first things that my daughter said to me, Mom, it's better that you went first. I mean, that dad, oh, geez. It's better that dad went first. I don't know that he could have gotten, I don't know what he would have done. And I said, Julie, what are you talking about? Your dad could do everything, she said, except talk. And I thought, whoa, that was, that was deep from a 30-year-old. But I think that, it, you know, I think that therapy is so important. And maybe what you could do to help all of us in the effort of learning, which is what I see this show all about, is, is the education that you're providing us. Maybe we could just define. I like, I like the words, I like the glossary words, because we've used the word therapy and we've used the word psychotherapy. Could you, mm-hmm. I'm assuming they're one and the same, so could you just define if you were going to if somebody was going to look up therapy what 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 sure. would it look like Well therapy really is anything that has to do with healing and with uh you know with one person kind of administering care to another person and that's why that's why therapy as a generic term is used by like massage therapy and physical therapy right and so so to get more specific about what I therapy has to do with the psyche, you know, the, uh, the, the mind and the soul really is, uh, you know, psyche means soul. So, um, so psychotherapy is, is about two people coming together, uh, a healer and someone who's needing some healing and uh, the kind of growth that can happen as a result of that connection. That, you know, in a very few words, you actually define that really, really well. I'm thinking that oh, people that are listening, like you said, you know, there's massage therapy. There's all kinds of, you know, there's physical therapy. We can we can add therapy to a, to a lot of words in front of the word therapy. But mm-hmm. when you talk about healing and you talk about, you know, your soul and having somebody to speak to, I can really... Um, appreciate what that means. Um, and I can also share with you that many, 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 many years ago, I also saw um, a therapist. So I have experienced psychotherapy as well. I, I didn't sure. require any medication. And my therapist was actually a man. And I'm, I'm talking 
I don't know, more than 35 years ago probably, I wanted to be uh-huh. like somebody else. I thought she was the perfect mom and why wasn't I? You know, something that mm. was probably a little bit um, distorted, but I was troubled by sure. it and I found myself going and talking to somebody about that. And so I really do value what therapy can do for people. What would you say um, is the hardest part about therapy for clients? What, what, do, what do clients struggle with the most? I'll tell you, when they, when they first get, – getting started in therapy is a, is a challenge, and that's why I've spent a lot of my time writing and talking about kind of helping to demystify therapy and help people understand how it works because it really is a different kind of set of rules, a different culture, a different language that, uh, that therapy works by, you know, um, for example, if, uh, it, because it is so relational, the, the actual, the tools of our trade is the relationship. It's the conversations that we're having. And so people might assume, okay, if I go to get my, my haircut one place, then I can just go to another place and get my haircut. The, it, it's really the, the relationship that is the most important part of it. So when coming to therapy, for example, I encourage people to, to really spend a lot of time figuring out where you're going to go and with whom and to test drive a variety of therapists because it really is so crucial that you feel comfortable and you feel like you can connect with the person that, uh, that you're meeting for therapy. Um, it's worth that bit of time and, and effort up front because if you could get with someone who comes highly recommended and who's written a stack of books and, and all of that stuff. But if you don't feel comfortable talking with this person, if they intimidate you or if they don't seem to be listening or something like that, then it's not going to be worth anything. It's going to be valueless to you. Whereas you could, you could go yeah. meet with somebody who has is freshly, you know, out of school and they, uh, you know, they seem kind of green, but, uh, but if, if you feel like they, they listen to you and they, they're offering some helpful suggestions, then, then that's a much better therapist for you. I would agree. Do you do you ever do your therapy um, not in person? I, I, with, with the technology that we're having today, are you able to, you know, do a you know a face to face over a computer? Uh, I'll tell you, this still the gold standard as far as I'm concerned is face to face in person because there's just so right. much. You know, as they say, so much of communication is nonverbal and you, you know, I see a tapping foot or I see someone's eyes averting when I ask a question. You know, that's all information for me as a therapist that uh, is so useful for the conversation. Just when people talk about the vibe that someone has, you know, and we all, we all get this. This is not a new agey sort of thing. You know, you walk into a room with someone who's anxious, you'll feel their anxiety. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's always, that's always my first choice. Uh, but Having said that, I, I've certainly met with many people over the telephone and, uh, and now over, over like Skype or Zoom or, or one of the, the video formats. Possible, I'd like to be able to meet with someone in person at least at first so I get a sense of who they are as a, as, you know, as a body in front of me because um, that helps me when I'm talking with them on the phone later on or, or over Skype. I kind of get the sense of them. But uh, but yeah, so the majority of my work is, is still face to face, but I do certainly have clients um, where we connect digitally, and it works. Uh, it works okay. Do you find that your clients come prepared to know what they want to talk about, or is that so individual? Mm. Do you, I mean, do you have a questionnaire yeah. that somebody 
fills out ahead of time? Uh, I don't. I don't. So I, a lot of practice, uh, a lot of practitioners do. They'll say, "What's your, what's your main, you know, what's the concern you have, and what would you like to discuss?" But most of the time, honestly, Marcia, people don't know what they're what they're wanting as much as they know what they don't want. <laughs> I I don't want to feel sad. <laughs> I don't want to feel anxious. I don't want, you know, I don't like how I'm feeling right now, and I want that to change. Um, you know, I'm I'm uncomfortable in my relationship, or I'm uh, I'm sick of my work or whatever it might be, and I want that to change. And so they come to me to try to find out what can we do about this. And yeah. uh, and together we we try to formulate some sort of ideas and some sort of a game plan. Like, okay, if you're feeling highly anxious, then let's talk about, uh, you know, ways to, to relax and, you know, what are these anxious thoughts about and what are you what are you doing currently to try to take care of yourself and let's try to enhance that, that sort of a thing. Do you find that your clients tend to take notes? Uh, during sessions, not often. No, um, they will. Oftentimes, people will. I'll, I'll encourage people to journal uh, while they're in therapy. So whether that's right after the session or, um, you know, when we're when they're in the middle of the week, sometime and they're just uh, kind of jotting down their thoughts and kind of reflecting on what. Uh, what we talked about and what we might talk about the next time, that's, that's helpful for a lot of folks. But honestly, during the session, I don't take notes during the session. I don't really encourage my clients to take notes during the session because that, that actually puts a little barrier between us. Um, you know, the, the, the conversation and the connection is so important that uh, if I feel like it's just a, like if I'm a professor giving a lecture to a class, that's quite the same thing as us having kind of a, a connecting moment, you know. And, and I would agree with you. I, I think, I mean, if you could see my head, I would. you would notice that I look like a bobblehead right now because I think that's true for so many people. You know, they go to therapy because maybe they feel like no one is listening to them. And if, if, if you're distracted by taking notes and your eyes are averting my eyes or if my eyes are, are averting your eyes because I'm taking notes, then, then something is probably getting lost there. And maybe, maybe when the session is over, maybe I don't know if you would say to that person, you know, I'm, I'll see you again next week, Susie. And here's something you might want to consider, you know, writing about or thinking about um, as you know, as we say goodbye today. So that if you're a goal-oriented sort of person where you need to follow some kind of clue like, oh, shoot, that was so emotional. What the hell did he say? I don't even remember. All I know is my gut's hurting, but I don't really, yeah. I don't know what he said. I'm just, I'm just still crying. I've, I've come out and I'm crying and I don't even know why. And maybe those are some of the things that happen in the beginning. And maybe, do you, do, you, do you, does that make any sense what I've just said? Yeah, sure it does. Sure it does. But, but I'll tell you, it's, again, it, the way that I view therapy might be different than some other folks, right? There are, there are different types of therapy. Maybe we can talk about that as well, but there's some sure, types of therapy where that. it is about, yeah, where some types of therapy, it's like say uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is, is one. It's a very kind of popular strain of, of therapy, which is, it is kind of like a homework, you know, a classroom setting in some ways. Let's say, okay, here's, you know, we're, that, that work says uh, that the problem really exists within your behaviors and within your thoughts. 
And so let's try to keep an eye on what your thoughts are for the week. And let's, uh, you know, if you're having irrational thoughts or you're being really negative towards yourself, having a really critical voice, then we'll intervene by trying to, uh, you know, have you change your, those, those negative uh, statements to positive statements. These are the, the sort of cognitive behavioral um, interventions. And people will be given homework and say, okay, go out this week and, you know, observe your, your thoughts three times a day and then try to intervene or, or something of that nature. And so it is mm-hmm. kind of a, uh, an educational process and, and, and sort of like a, a teacher to a student. Um, other forms of therapy, but the form that I'm more, more comfortable with is uh, what they call like the dynamic therapies or, uh, or like a, a relational therapy where it's the healing, it's the relationship itself that does the healing. It's this, what we call like a corrective emotional experience, right? So let's say that you, um, you've always felt bad about something, some, some hidden secret from your past. And if you were to express that, if you were to say that to your mother, you know that she would just flip out and, you know, give you all of this shame. But you come into therapy and you can say that to somebody who doesn't judge you, who accepts you unconditionally, who, you know, who thinks that you're, you're just fine the way you are. You're just another human being who has the same sort of problems as everyone else. Then you have this experience of like, wow, I, I can share this. And they didn't run screaming out of the room. And that feels great. <laughs> that's, a, that's a corrective experience that we have. So, so what I'm trying to do in therapy with, with clients oftentimes is to give them this, this sense of, okay, I can relate to another person, be truly myself, my authentic self, and that's okay. Um, it's kind of like the, the words of, uh, of Maya Angelou. Uh, you probably heard this, this mm-hmm. quote before. She said, um, people, how you made them feel. Correct. And that is a, uh, that's, that's sort of the philosophy that I, I work from. So I want to create this, this one hour a week environment where people can really be themselves and, and feel good about that and hopefully learn to take that with them out into the world. And also my sense is, without you saying it, in a non-judgmental environment. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, because that, that's, you know, when you talk about cognitive therapy, it, it takes me over to the, the whole reason and how I came to even know you and maybe we'll talk about that mm. as we get more into the show but that whole ruminating overthinking and that voice that just never shuts up and just keeps on going and going like an ever ready battery and you just want to say be quiet I know be quiet but I would like to ask you this so you've talked about some of the difficulties that that your clients might have but from the position of a therapist what are some of the harder parts that, that you have to, to overcome? Well, as I said in the beginning, like we get into this field because we're curious about people and because we, um, uh, you know, maybe we have our own empathy for them because we've had a similar experience to, to a lot of our clients. And I'll tell you that empathy and that compassion can really create a lot of fatigue and burnout for, for therapists. Um, it's, it can be hard. Even, even I've, I've been doing this for 20 years and it can be difficult some days uh, after the work, after I'm hearing some of these, these painful stories and, you know, the, the challenging experiences that some of my clients have had. Um, it's, it can be tough to kind of drag that home or drag myself home and try to, try to not uh, uh, take on all of the problems of my clients. 
and that's a big part of, of training. You know, when I, when I work as a, as a professor or really as a supervisor, is what I, my primary role is now today, when I'm working with young clinicians, my primary task is to help them to kind of take care of themselves as, uh, as people. Um, sure, they, they want to know that, they're, that they've learned enough and that they're, they're doing all the work they can to help their clients, but, but if they want to have a long career, they have to know how to leave work at work, how to, how to say, okay, I trust that I've given all I can to my clients, and now it's up to them to take care of themselves. Um, you know, to, to really be able to, to, to let, let go a bit and not have to take uh, all of that pain and suffering home with them all the time. I, I I have a really good friend that's daughter is a nurse, and I also know a few people that work in the um, hospice arena, and mm. you really do have to be able to separate. But it's sometimes much easier said than done, especially the younger the younger generation when maybe they've just had a really sick child, and and then you you go home and you go, oh my god. You know, I just want to hug my kid and my kid's saying, Mom, I can't breathe. You're let go. You know, you're hugging me too tight. You know, I, I, we're human. And, and, and that's just, that's human nature. But I, I bet as a supervisor, that is some of the things that you're going to help your students um, be able to balance, which I don't know, it's probably my favorite word that I, that I, that I work towards. Um, do, do you Absolutely. find that well, therapists... Go ahead. Right about the balance. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was, I was going to say that. Yeah, about balance and about that. I mean, what what it what it boils down to after a while with my students is is helping them to to trust, really trust clients. Like the problem is is that we often feel overly responsible. You know, we're we're helpers, we're caregivers, and we kind of put ourselves out there a little too much for clients and take too much responsibility for making sure that they're they're okay. Um, what we have to do is eventually get to a point of saying, okay, I've done, I've done what I can. I've done what, uh, what I've been trained to do. And, and this is a, a big, a big boy or a big girl in front of me here. And now it's up to them to, to kind of make it, make it work. So mm-hmm. it, it ends up being a trust issue, I think. And, uh, and even though, you know, even though we do our, our best a lot of times, and I'm sure as you're talking about the Parkland uh, issues and stuff, I'm sure a lot of those people had a lot of help, but Sadly, you know, sometimes all the help we can give is still not enough. Yes. Do you do you find that therapists themselves ever go into therapy on their own? Uh, we better. <laughs> uh, I actually am a yes. I would I would say that that's uh, that's important. In fact, I intend to be in therapy for my entire career. And uh, and frankly, if there was if I'm there have been times when I've met a therapist who has said they hadn't been to therapy before. And I, I mean, I have a visceral reaction to that. Like it, and it's not so much about you need to be, you know, in the, in the, the chair of clients to know what that's like from a business perspective. It's more of, you need to know what your stuff is versus your client stuff. Um, so I go to therapy both for my own my own well being and also as a as a professional service I believe because I need to know what's what's about me and what's about them. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Let's say that a client comes in and says, "Oh, I am so angry with my sister. She's so domineering and overwhelming." Right? And maybe I have my own sister who's domineering and overwhelming, which I don't. My sister's a lovely person, but if I did have my own sister who was 
domineering and overwhelming, I might react with the client as if it was my sister. I might say, well, you need to call her up and you need to tell her X, Y, and Z. And that would be about me working out my stuff in the, in the session on the, on the client's dime. So why, what we need to do as therapists is, is go in and figure out, okay, what's, what's, when my buttons are pushed, what buttons are mine and what buttons are being pushed because it's really about the client and about their issues. And so that's a, that's a really important part of the work. And so I, I encourage every one of my students to, uh, to be in therapy for a good chunk of time, if not throughout their career. It's interesting. You made me think of a friend of mine that's in the Bay Area, and um, he would say exactly what you've just said. You almost have to understand being a client as much as being a therapist because it does help you clarify yourself. I, I, I can see that. And the other thing I think that's interesting about therapy is your therapist is not supposed to be your best friend. That's who your best friends are. And, you know, sometimes yeah. we go to our best friends because we know that they'll tell, they'll tell us what we want to hear. And therefore, they just confirm what we, what we think we already know when in reality they're just being supportive as a friend where your, your, your therapist um, doesn't start off by saying, and afterwards, let's go grab a beer because we both like sure. Hefenbeisen. That that isn't what that isn't what was to be expected, and therefore you you bring an impartiality to the conversation, and it's so funny uh, as I digress because this is a this is a subject that's really close to me. Back in the days when I was telling you I had put myself into therapy, um, there were a lot of psychologists that were on the radio, Tony Grant being one of them, David Viscott, uh-huh. and they were on. They were on the Dodger station. They were on, locally. They were on KBC, and I listened to Tony Grant daily. I was I I was a Tony Grant groupie. So when I went to my very first therapy session, and I was sitting across from this gentleman, I said, "I just want you to know, sir, that Tony Grant is whispering in my ear because I've brought her with me." And he looked at me like, oh, God, a wacko for sure. But, you know, I, I felt like I had already had some experience there. I've been listening to Tony Grant for a couple of years. You know, I was like, well, what side of the chair am I supposed to be on here? Let me come in here and let me, let me take care of myself through your, through your mouth. I'll just tell you what I think you're supposed to say to me. You know, it, it, that sort of, what do they call that, transference. You know, I, was just, I, it, I had forgotten about that, to be perfectly honest with you. It was so, so long ago. But I think that the fact that there is such access to therapy today that I, I think that, that that's wonderful. What do, you, what do you think the future of psychotherapy is like? Well, I think, uh, I think there's, we, we're already seeing some of the future happening now, which is, the, like you mentioned before, the technology. There's been a, a big move in the last few years for people to be uh, – working with people online or, or, you know, on their, on their phones, um, even, you know, something that's more remote, which I think is, is very convenient for a lot of folks. But uh, as I said, I still believe that the gold standard is, is going to be in the room because there's, you just don't get the same quality um, with a strictly digital relationship that you do when, uh, when you're face to face. We're doing the, you know, the nineties were, were dubbed the, uh, the decade of the brain 
um, when the, from a research and, uh, and like a government grant standpoint. And we're still reaping the benefits of that. There's, there's so much about brain and, and uh, neuroscience that we're just starting to understand um, that I think the future of, of psychology will set, definitely include more understanding of how the brain works, of how, um, how uh, medications can work, of different ways to, to treat people that is helpful, that is, that is informed by brain science. Um, we're seeing a lot of that now, but I think it's uh, still really at its infancy. And, um, and yeah, but I still think, and again, maybe this is just my, <laughs> my bias here, but uh, I still think in the end we're going to need to have a place where we can sit and have a conversation. I mean, the, the uh, psychology was, was originally called the talking cure, because instead of, you know, other medical interventions, it was found that we can just, we can heal by just talking, you know, using words as our, as our instruments. And uh, I think that's always going to be necessary to, to one degree or another. I do. I think so too. I would, I would agree with you. I think that, I think that innately we all want to be heard. Some do it differently than others. Some are very, just like I'm a very public people, a person. There are the people that are very private and you don't have any idea what's going on in their mind, what they're thinking about. They're really not interested in what you're thinking about and they really don't care for you to, to know what they're thinking about. But I think that that, that that just the way you said the talking cure of just knowing that you're struggling with whatever that might be. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's an ill family member, whatever that might be. There, there's a lot of things that cause stress for people. Sometimes it's just financial. You know, whatever that might be, it's just nice to know that there is a place where you can go. If you break your bone and you break your leg, you're going to have to see a surgeon. You know, that, yes. I mean, you're just not going to be able to fix that yourself. And emotionally, if you have something that you're broken about, it's just a wonderful thing to know that there's so much out there. And I think, you know, you were talking about um, the brain. And I, I have a friend that's son um, was a suicide, a, a former football player that had probably a very, very serious concussion issues with his brain. And he's told his mom, look at when I'm dead, just send it off, take my brain and send it to Boston because obviously there's something really wrong with me. And, I, you know, like you said, for the future, I, I'm thinking that that sort of falls into that same sort of category. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I'll add one piece to this too, which is I was, I was speaking with, uh, with a group of people this weekend, um, younger folks of mine, you know, millennial people in their twenties basically. Mm -hmm. And, and they were telling, and this was a, at a psychology conference. So, um, there was all folks who were very familiar with the, with the work, but they were saying, you know what, we were, we were raised, um, staring at phones and, uh, and screens and interpersonal contact was not always comfortable. And it was, there's always a, a, another way to, uh, to get our answers or to get a, a semblance of connection. And so for them, and these are, these are young therapists themselves, but they're saying for them, it is a, it's a big challenge to sit and have a face-to-face conversation sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. And that was, and that's, you know, that, when you talk about the future of therapy, I'm, I'm thinking that's, that's going to have to be a piece of this too. 
Um, you know, a lot of people would say, well, okay, if they grew up with screens, then let's let's treat them with screens, which I'd say that's that's fair to, to some degree. But eventually, when we're forming relationships and we're making connections and we're having, you know, making long-term commitments to one another, we have to be able to have a face-to-face conversation at some point, right? I, I think so. It makes sense to me. Do, do, yeah. do you think that um, psychotherapy has an image problem? I do. I do. And, uh, you know, we're both L.A. people, and uh, I give a lot, of the, a lot of the credit to the image problem to Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and TV. Um, because I think what we have with, with psychology or with psychotherapy is we have this kind of intentionally mysterious profession, right? Everything that we do is, you know, we're, we're professional secret keepers. Everything is behind closed doors. No one really knows what's really happening in someone's uh, therapy session, and that's for a good reason. You know, we, we want it to be confidential and private. But because of that, I think a lot of people get curious about, well, what, what really happens behind those doors, you know? And, and there can be some sort of projections or some, some, some ways that people uh, kind of imagine what's really happening in therapy sessions. And so you get these kind of stereotypes of, of therapists on TV and, and in the movies, you know, there's the, the, the crazy therapists, you know, the ones who are wacky and, and uh, you know, more, more disturbed than their patients a lot of times. Right. Or you get the, mm-hmm. the really sadistic ones, like a, like a nurse ratchet sort of a thing where we just want to, <laughs> you know, just want to put our, put our patients through the ringer and, and really hurt them. Or you get the, uh, you know, the brilliant wizards who, uh, you know, who just have the, the one thing that needs to be said and suddenly everyone's all cured. And so I believe that that's a, you know, this perpetuates some ideas of, of therapists that are not, not really healthy and it doesn't really reflect what people can really expect when they go to a therapy session. And as a result, I think people have a distorted view of what, uh, what therapy is really like. That makes a lot of sense. Speaking of that, I think there's something that you're quite proud of, and I thought we could talk about that just a little bit right now. What does the sure. date September 25th mean to you? Ah, well, September 25th. Well, a few years ago, I was I was with uh, some graduate students of mine, and we were um, walking down the street by a, by a, a candy store, and I said, hey, it's National... Uh, I think it was National Peppermint Day or something like that. <laughs> and we were laughing about that and laughing about all the different all the different days that there are now nowadays. Like, you know, there's Pencil Day, there's uh there's Puppy French Day, day. everything has a day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Puppy Days. Everything's a day. So we said, you know what? Let's start National Psychotherapy Day. And so we did. We uh we we bought the, the domain and uh, and made a Facebook page and created National Psychotherapy Day and sent out uh, news to all sorts of people. But instead of it just being kind of a frivolous day, we wanted it to have some meaning. We wanted it to have a, a purpose, and the purpose of it for us was to help to demystify therapy, to help people get to know you know what therapy is really like, and and they could do that in a variety of ways. One would be to tell tell your own therapy story on that day. So just like you were doing a little while ago, talking a little bit about your own therapy and I talk about my own therapy, you know, maybe that would be one day where mm-hmm. people could say, Hey, you know, Hey, it's national psychotherapy day. Have you ever gone? Cause I have, and here's what it was like. Um, because again, it's like people don't talk about it. Even in Los Angeles, people don't talk about it as much, you know, Los Angeles is probably one of the more therapy friendly cities in the, in the world. But, uh, 
come out of the closet and say, yeah, I've been to therapy. We don't mind talking about our, our dental appointments or our, uh, or our medical appointment, but still people kind of slink off to their therapy appointment and don't want to talk about it. And I say, I say there's nothing to be ashamed of. You know, it, it doesn't, there's nothing to be wrong with seeking help and, uh, and trying to make your life better. So that's one of the purposes of the day, to talk about therapy. Another one would be to, to share some of the, the research, because there's a large body of research out there that shows that, uh, that therapy works. And we actually try to get that into the hands of, uh, of medical doctors and, you know, teachers and other people, lawyers, people who might be referral sources for, therapy, for therapists, to let them know, hey, this is something that, that actually works. You know, sometimes it's uh, – you don't need to just write the prescription for the pill. Maybe you can encourage them to, to talk to somebody as well. And, uh, and so, yeah, we try to try to promote the day in these, in these kind of healthy ways and, and reduce the stigma. You know, a lot of people talk about the mental health stigma or the mental illness stigma, but there's a stigma against therapy for a lot of people too. Like, Oh, I, I say, I keep saying that if, as long as, as long as therapy is an insult, then we should have, we need to have a, an awareness campaign. And by that, I mean, when someone says, Oh, you need to go to therapy, you know, that's, that's a slam to somebody. That's uh that's not a, that's not a uh, helpful, constructive uh, piece of advice. That's uh, that's an insult. So we need to, to teach people that it's not so bad to go to therapy. Right. And then people have to plan for it. And, and, and not only yep. plan, uh, not only plan for the appointment, but build in some after-appointment time. I can remember when I was in therapy that I was I was affected by that conversation. I didn't just say, okay, well, I just got my nails done and they're dry now, so now I'm going to go, you know, to the market. There's there's some after reflection, and if you're in a, if you work, you know, or or you you can't take the time off of work or you find yourself, well, I can go to therapy, but it would have to be on the weekend or it would have to be at night. Or, you know, I, I can see where scheduling sometimes could be an issue where somebody would find a reason. I, I certainly can't tell my work I'm about to go to my therapy session because they'll, they'll let me go. Or now I, I am going sure. and HR knows because I've applied for a, a support with my, with my bill so I'm, I'm sure there's sure. a lot of things, and I can see how. Well, how many years ago did you start this on for your September 25th? How long have you been doing this? Uh, the first year was 2012. Okay, so, so a little while. Years, so yep. your anniversary's come. Yeah, that's well. Congratulations. I think it's I think it's really ideal that you do something like that. And and I I mentioned um, in my blog about you that you're also a writer and a storyteller. And um, I would like you to share a little bit about moments of meaning because I think that's very, very interesting as well. Yes. So one of the things that, uh, that we did, um, again, this is about the, the, the National Psychotherapy Day campaigns. We wanted to be able to, mm-hmm. to give something tangible that day, you know, something that we could uh, share with, with the world, you know. Um, and so we created a storytelling event kind of based on like uh, like the moss, you know, the, the storytellers oh, who yes, tell kind of brief brief and poignant stories about about their lives. And so we brought together uh, six therapists who who told these just wonderful, real but uh, but you know tweaked enough so that the uh, that they were still confidential. You know, the stories were real stories though of something that happened in a therapy session with them. 
that just kind of highlighted kind of the, the power of that connection, the power of that, uh, that relationship. And uh, so we brought together six folks to do this. The, the story is about 10 minutes apiece and then had a, had a bunch of people kind of gather, you know, a hundred people come together and, and uh, in the audience and uh, kind of cheer them along as they tell their stories. And I tell you, it, it was, it's, it's moving to watch these things as I, as I look back on them, even, you know, they're, funny and touching and heartbreaking at times and uh and made a lot of you know made a lot of sense as far as the what our, what our purpose was for national psychotherapy day to kind of break down the walls and, and show people what goes on behind our doors so will you be doing this again this september with the moments of meaning is this something well, you do I, annually i uh i it's not something we've done annually we've done two of them so far and uh, and I would like to be doing and I'll do another one in the next year or so, but uh, I actually just got back from a uh, an event on Saturday uh, where I told one of these stories. This is another organization, the Psychotherapy Networker um, Magazine, one of the people that I write for. Um, they put on a uh, an annual convention and uh, and they now hold the storytelling event, just like just like our moments of meaning. And so I told a story on Saturday that uh, really it, it takes a lot of work to get these stories up and running. So um, that kind of consumed all of my time. And so, uh, so once I recover from that, then I'm going to put together another Moments of Meaning. But they can be found, well, let, if you don't mind the plug, yeah. looking up Moments of Meaning. No, I want you on, to plug uh, on, Yeah. So they're on YouTube. Just go to Moments of Meaning uh, on YouTube, and you'll see these, uh, these stories. Um, there's uh, 12 of them up there, and and uh, I I think you'll be uh, you'll see what I'm talking about. Well, while we're plugging, I don't want time to get away, and it's like, oh my god, I can't believe I did this. So I do want Ugh. people to know how they sure. can find you. So I because I, I have a few more questions I want to ask because I, you should sure. see me now. I'm like jumping in my seat because I do want to ask you. So these these moments of meanings are like what you just did. Is that something that people can pay to go see, or are they, are your is your audience strictly professional doing the same thing you're doing? Oh, anyone could pay to come see it if they'd like. Oh, They're good. welcome to. But but the the purpose of it was really to to film them really well and put them on on uh, online so that millions of people could watch if they wanted to. But uh, but absolutely. So the next time next time anyone this time we do one of these, I will uh, you know Please it'll be up on know. my Facebook page. Yeah, and I'll tell, let you know about it, and we'll uh, spread the word. So, speaking of that, what a segue! You'd think I did this for a living. Well, maybe a living is maybe overstating it. So, I want to spell your name so that people know how to find you. Although, if they've they read the blog um, and and they follow me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff, they'll know that. But for those of you listening. You can simply go to Ryan, and that's R-Y-A-N, and his last name is spelled H-O-W-E-S dot net. And he's got a great, uh, you've got a great website. I love the blue couch. You know, that's just perfect. And I think that, you know, that's another place. And you do have a Facebook page. I, I believe it's Ryan House PhD. Is that is that what yep. it is? I, I think right. that's what it is for Facebook. And because I certainly follow you and that whole ruminating thing, I will just set that aside right now because I, as I put in my blog, that BuzzFeed article that you wrote 
is really something that should be printed and reviewed on a regular basis on how to try to stop the the overthinking. You know, how do you, you know, take that deep breath and exhale out some of those thoughts and, and maybe not just carry them around in your head all day because those people can drive you crazy. Who who needs it, you know? So whatever it does, if, it, if it's yoga, if it's music, if it's photography, I, that's what I do. Ryan, that's what I do. When when the, no, when the noise gets too loud, you need to do this. Did you know you need to do that? You got this, you got this, you got that, you got that. It's like, oh, my God, shut up. I'll just grab my camera and I'll go outside and I will forget about all of that. I'm away from the screens. I'm away from my, well, that's probably a lie. Um, but, you know, I'll take the pictures and I will enjoy nature just to sort of decompress myself uh, just because it's it's so important. Um, but I do know that you've done some interviews and I just, I guess before I ask you that question, I do want to ask you this question and that is, what are your future plans? Are do you have another book coming out? What what when you're not speaking in front of uh, thousands of people? Uh, what's up next for you? <laughs> well, certainly there's the, uh, the the ongoing master psychotherapy day and and the moments of meaning and and yes, I've had a book sitting and <laughs> sitting. I've, I've been ruminating <laughs> about it. Marsha, I'll tell you, it's been, it's been hard. I love it. Um, I love it. Yes, but it's it's based on, on a lot of what we're talking about, helping clients get the most out of therapy and, and understand how therapy works. So someday that will be coming, and I'll let you know when that happens. But uh, but well, for the most part, I'm uh, I'm in practice, and I'm just, uh, just plugging along. Speaking of practice, I'm, we're going to skip a couple of those other questions because I really do want to ask you this. Because as I said a while ago, balance. Oh my goodness, what a word! You know, professional balance and emotional balance and separating your your fun time from your work time and blah 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 blah. So I know a little bit about you, but I am curious to know how do you balance? You're married. You how do you balance your professional life and your personal life? What what do you do? Well, yes, I think that's, that's a great <laughs> Get one. Get out I think that that's, guitar. That's uh, well, that's my main, yes. One of my main tasks every day is to, uh, to try to maintain that balance. And so I, yeah, I need to go and have some exercise. And I, I definitely, when I'm with my family, I am with my family or try to be as, as uh, connected and close with them as I can be. Um, and then I do my writing stuff after the kids go to bed. And, and uh, but uh, you're talking about my, my practice on Friday nights. Uh, for the last 20 years, I've gotten together with a group of uh, of other of colleagues, really, and friends. Now they're they're more family than anything else, and uh, we play rock music. And uh, so I play guitar in a, in a band, and uh, we so cool. we have our our weekly catharsis of uh, of rock and roll every <laughs> Friday night. And uh, man, it's it's worth every every minute of it. I'll tell you. Where do you play? Do you just you, nobody? You're just are you at somebody's home? Or are you in a club? Where do you go? Oh, well, we it's uh, in Los Angeles. It's it's wild. There's so many bands. We actually have a rehearsal space in a warehouse in downtown Los Angeles, where there are probably 200 bands there at any given time. They're all the all different kind of little rooms that they have for for rehearsal. And so we leave our equipment there during the week, and we can come down and unlock the door and go into our little space there. It's like our little clubhouse. And we can turn the turn the music, turn the amps up to eleven, and uh, rock out as much as we want. <laughs> We're not going to disturb the neighbors because there aren't any neighbors, so it's great. 
Oh, I love that. Do you sing too, or do you just play? I'm I'm uh, I'm the guitarist, and sometimes I'll do some oohs and ahs in the background. But uh, but our lead singer is uh, is wonderful, and uh, I don't want to step on his toes. He's he, I won't get in his way. He's great. That is so cool. And do you play? Original music? Does anybody write, or are you just um, are you just there um, doing Chicago or whatever you love listening to? No, yeah. Well, we uh, we like to say that we're we're not good enough to play covers. We we have to play our own stuff because we can't make our stuff sound like anybody else. <laughs> no, we uh, we play a few play a few songs from other people, David Bowie and uh, and Lou Reed and a few other old rockers like that. But uh, for the most mm-hmm. part, we make our own music and uh, and have our own fun. And sometimes, every once in a while, yes, we do play play uh, shows. We we played uh, some of the L.A. hot spots in the back in the day, but uh, but really, it's like our time to get together, talk, kind of reconnect for the week, play a little bit of music, and uh, kind of just let the week go. A music is such a unifier, and it says so much. And for me, I am very affected by music by the sounds of it. It can lift my spirits. I'm a drummer in the car. You know, some people like to be quiet in the car. Me, you know, give me some classic rock, and um, I can't not, I mean, I'm not being unsafe when I'm driving, but if I'm on my way to Costco, I can assure you that at least the two of my fingers are keeping beat to whatever it is I'm listening to. And, yes, my bobblehead is moving, and, and I, I love it. And at the same token, you can listen to, I can, I speak for me, I can listen to music that might have a violin or it might just be um, um, an instrumental. And it's like, oh, God, this is making me, this is making me emotional and it's making me a little, feel a little sad. I think I need to go back to, you know, Fleetwood Mac and listening to something that is, that is giving me more of a bounce. Um, but music does certainly bring memories to all of this. And the fact that you guys and gals uh, are they are you are you all men or are there women that come on your Friday night group? Nope, it's uh, it's there's four of us and and uh, the uh, the the guitar uh, the, the lead singer and the bass player are married to one another, so they're a husband and wife team. Cool. That's that is really that's really nice because that is a level of balance for you as well. And we all need it. I, I, there isn't anybody walking around that's in perfect balance. That's why yoga studios are so full and that's why gymnasiums are full and racquetball courts are full or whatever it is people do that, that balances them out. You know, it, it just allows you to take a deep breath and say, you know what? Yeah. I, I had, you, you talked about um, millennials a little while ago. And as I said, I've been doing this quite some time, and I had a, a very um, accomplished millennial on my show probably the first year. And I was saying to her, oh, my God, I'm just so busy. She said, busy? I don't use that word. I said, what do you mean? What do you use? She says, productive. I said, oh. She said, do you see how it sounds different? It feels different, oh. and it sounds different. I am productive. That's why I can go to college. That's why I can write a book. That's why I can model. That's why I can be a daughter. That's why I can do all of these different things because I am very productive. I thought, wow. Nice. Through that, through the, it, that, it's, that's really an aha, isn't it? Like, wow. Yeah, that really great. does sound, and that really sounds and feels 
considerably different. And I, I think the power of conversations and connections and community, which is the, the, the internal part of my show, along with what's your story, is what brings, it sets my week off so beautifully to do something like this. You and I have never met. That is the downside of the podcast. I'm, I have to admit, I'm also on YouTube three years because I was visual as well. But it, it's really lovely that you didn't have to drive across the city today and that you could take a little time out of your day. And I, and I so appreciate it. And I've so appreciated getting to know you. Oftentimes, I, you know, I know my guests ahead of time. In this case, you and I didn't hear each other's voice till today. And um, I just have such a warm feeling about what you do and what you represent and, and, and what your future looks like, Ryan. I, I'm really, really grateful for the time that you spent with me today, truly. Thank you so much, Marcia. This was a, a real pleasure. And, uh, and yes, even though we hadn't uh, met before, it was great to make this connection with you right now. Absolutely. So I will I'll let everybody know to join me next week. I have a couple of men that have written a book called The Red Hotel. It's a, it's a thriller, and I'll be writing more about that soon. But I'm going to wish everybody a pleasant Monday. Go Dodgers. Go whoever team you like. If it's Duke, well, good for you. And go my Clippers. And have a great week, everybody. And I'll be ready to do another show with you next week. Until then, bye for now.